I'm so glad everybody could be here this morning, and um, it, it, uh, it's, it's lovely to get a, a breakfast out with, with plenty of bacon. That's the way we normally advertise uh, men's breakfast in the choir. We say unlimited bacon, and uh, that's enough to at least get the tenors and the bases to look up, and um, that, that often helps. Um, this morning we have a, a, a speaker who I have the pleasure of getting to introduce myself. Um, I'm going to hold announcements and stuff towards the end, but um, this morning it's my pleasure to introduce David Weaver. I got to know David because he was in the choir when I, when we, Cami and I joined the choir back in 1996. At least that's my recollection, and at this age... I trust my recollections as well as anything. They may not be right, but they're what I've got, right? And um, uh, David and his wife, Lisa, and, and Cameron have been a part of our, our choir lives for since the, since the beginning. And I have great memories of a particular choir party that we have after a concert that we had o over at the, the Weaver's house. I'll, I'll, this is just a special choir moment for me. And we had a, a soloist as and the soloist's name was John LaForge, and apparently it had been a really, really, really long week or whatever. And as you know, on the video screens, we take camera feeds, and we generally watch the video at the choir party after the concert. It's, it's not because we just want to hear ourselves sing. It's we want to see what we look like. That must be what it is. And so this was after a patriotic concert. It wasn't after a Christmas concert. But we got this great shot of John LaForge about this big, yawning. It was a beautiful yawn. And that night, he met the woman who would become his wife. And it's funny how you need a moment of vulnerability sometimes to meet the person who you're going to end up spending the rest of your life with. Now, I have no idea if any of that ties into David's story. I've gotten to know David uh, singing. I've gotten, I've gotten to work with David over the years. And um, it, it, I am looking forward to you hearing about his journey because I've gotten to see a little piece of it. And it's an authentic walk that I think can be inspiring to us all. And so with uh, no more introduction than that, David Weaver. Thank you, Eric. So Methodist men has, has their bacon, and uh, Jim Rosal Rotary has uh, chicken, right? <laughs> it's good to have a claim of fame uh, for, for a group that's food-related. Food well, thanks for, for coming out, like Eric said, on a, on a cold, early morning. And it's great to see uh, warm bodies and warm faces uh, to, to greet all of us. And I appreciate the, um, the faith and the fellowship represented within this group. It's kind of ironic. I was um, Rusty's going to give us an update on what's going on in the Panama City Beach and the whole Gulf area, Georgia and North Carolina, and the, the efforts that, that our church is contributing to recovery efforts there. And I was actually slated to lead a, a team uh, down to Panama City Beach leaving today. And uh, there's only one problem. Um, I didn't have anybody volunteer. <laughs> I know some of you retired, but my contact list and everything that I'm involved in, everybody's still working. <laughs> so, you know, it's the end of the year and everybody has their, their, their schedules all planned out, their time off with family and, and centered around the holidays. So, you know, it made perfect sense. And I was talking to Mary Jackson, who's putting these groups together. And she said, David, don't worry about it. I said, if God wants you to go down there, he'll figure out a way for it to work. And if not, then that's okay. Um, there'll be something else in, in another time. It was about that time that Eric called and said, hey, um, 
you know, it's just kind of out of the blue, but would you be interested in speaking to our, our Methodist men's groups Thursday, Thursday morning? Um, Eric's very smart, by the way. He, he, he knows, I mean, as a Christian, you know, making decisions, you know, well, let me pray about that. And, you know, do I really have a message? He knows me. I just tend to kind of jump into things and then jump into. So <laughs> he was smart from that perspective, but it didn't take any, any thought, really, because I said, well, if God didn't want me to go down to Panama City Beach, maybe. So I think I would be remiss to have uh, passed up on this opportunity. I hope I at least have something to share. The first thing that crossed my mind, however, was story. I, I don't have a story. And uh, in talking to, to Jim a while ago, he kind of echoed the same thing. You know, I've been asked to speak, but I think I have a story. And it brought back memories of Ike Rigert, who is um, lead minister at Piedmont Church over in Marietta, was head of Must Ministries. And 15 years ago, when I was at Home Bank Mortgage, he was tapped to be our chief people officer. And I think that was back when corporations were kind of choosing some titles when people didn't exactly fit the role of traditional uh, corporate officers, and Ike definitely met that definition. So Ike was relating how he got into the ministry, and he said, I graduated from high school and I had no earthly idea what I wanted to do with my life, and it kind of resonated. He said, so I kind of, I kind of waltzed through first year of college, you know, no commitment at all, and with somewhat predictable results, he flunked out. <laughs> So his dad, instead of you know putting him in a, a community college or something like that, he said, no, I, I think you need to go to work, find out what it's like. So it didn't take Ike very long to figure out, well, I don't know what I want to do with my life, but I'm finding out really quick what I don't want to do with my life. But he stuck with it, and some period over the next year or so, through his own faith journey, he felt very, very strongly led to commit his life not only to Christ, which he had already done, but enter into the ministry. There's only one catch to enter into the ministry after graduate from college, go on to seminary. So he went back to, to college, and he went to the registrar's office. He said, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm Ike Raggard. I'd like to sign back up and register for classes. I was here I was here a year or so ago, and I'm ready to start back. So they go into the system, and um, hold, hold on just one second. They go to the back room, the registrar comes out. He looks at the, the screen. He goes, uh, Mr. Rigert, I'm sorry. So we can't accept you. We can't register. Why? He says, well, you were here before, and unfortunately, you no longer meet our academic requirements for admission. He's just devastated. I mean, here's a man now that is led by God. He knows what he wants to do with his life and cut short. So he's, he just doesn't know what to do. And I walked out of the office, and there's this big stairway, and I just sat down put my head in my hands and shaking my head. And this lady's trying to get around me, get up the stairs. And she looks at him and said, uh, said are, are, are you okay? He goes, no, I'm not. I, I'm, I'm devastated. I've, I've got this plan and admissions won't let me into the school. She said, come up with me. They walk up the stairs into these big offices upstairs. And so I'm kind of looking around and looking. Office is dean on it. Like the secretary's taking me to the dean's office. Wow, this is really something. And she walks around and sits down at the dean's desk. <laughs> so uh, he sat down and said, "So tell me your story." I don't have a story. She leaned forward and said, "Son, everybody." And that just kind of stuck with me. And Ike's story is: she let him in and said, "As long as you meet this minimum GPA requirement, and if you do, then I'll let you enroll for the next semester. Once you meet this minimum GPA, and it was not minimum, it was pretty high, then I'll let you go to the next." <coughs> he finished at Mercer University, magna cum laude. Went on and got his divinity degree and doctorate. Now is doing great things. Uh, both here and I'm sure in, in many different uh, many different places. So my story, whatever that story is, um, I'll just take you back and very briefly take you through. My parents met when my father was serving in the Army. He was stationed down in Fort Sam Houston in San Antonio. <clears throat> and the Army um, would invite 
ladies in from around the community to the officers club um, you know, once a month or whatever for a dance a way for the officers to unwind and socialize and that sort of thing so they met and, and fell in love and ultimately got married and it was about the time that dad was discharged from the army and he said well it's time to take you up to meet my parents and his parents were farmers out in rural north carolina and they didn't have the means to go down to to texas and she was although not a socialite she was very social my mom was one of these larger-than-life characters. I mean, never met a stranger, would walk in, hello, and I mean, just a wonderful, wonderful lady. So um, he introduces her to these very demure, conservative farmers who get up at 4.30, 5 o'clock every morning, work the farm, and then announced to her, said, well, I think it's best if you stay here with my folks, and I'll go on to Raleigh, which is about an hour away, and i, I got to find work, and i got to find a house for us to live in. How long is that going to take? So I, I don't know, a month, two months, or whatever. So I just, I just, I wish I'd been a fly on a wall. I just envisioned this Green Acres moment, right? I mean, she was not a socialite like like Ava Gabor's character, but I, I just, I don't even know if she had work clothes, and, and she was a doer. Um, she was not one to sit around and let grass grow under her feet. So I imagine she jumped right in, but uh, I, 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 wow, I can just imagine they were some interesting moments. And... <laughs> Along with interesting moments is, I remember uh, as, a, as a very, very young child um, going and visiting my grandparents there, and it's, it's the old traditional farmhouse with a porch that goes all the way around the front. And even as when I came, I'm in the third of three, so this is nine years into having kids, um, there was no indoor facilities. There was a well out on the corner of the front porch, and you lowered the bucket down in there and let it fill up, and then you, you pulled it back up, and you had the little tin dipper that you sipped out of, and there was an outhouse about 20 yards off into the woods. And I remember that because as a young kid, I was running full tilt to make it to the outhouse because as a young kid, you know, there is no, oh, you know, probably have to go to the restroom. And I was like, I gotta go. <laughs> and I took a nosedive and skinned my knees up so badly. And, you know, it's all home medicine uh, out in the country. You know, no doctor to, to stitch you back up. So I, I, I still have some, some scars on my knees from that moment. So anytime I've putting on my pants to look at it. It's just great memories and a lot of great memories that, that go along with that. So mom and dad got settled, had the kids. Uh, we were very active in a Methodist church in, in Raleigh. Uh, dad was an usher uh, for all of his life. We were talking talking earlier, you know, where he's up at the pearly gates along with all the other ushers uh, punching your ticket as you, as you come in and giving you a once over. Uh, mom taught Sunday school and MYF, and there was no U in MYF at that time. It was just Methodist Youth Fellowship. And it was in one of those windowless concrete block uh, basement classrooms that I accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior as a high schooler. I wasn't exactly sure probably what that meant. I just felt very, very in my heart that that's what we're all about. And I wanted him to lead my life. Now, since then, there have been a lot of ups and downs in my faith journey. I think as a lot of young adults, I probably got away from that for a number of years. Um, thank God for my, my marriage and other events that, that brought me back to the Lord. Um, <clears throat> I began singing in choir uh, in middle school in at church. Thank God, Sue Runkle, saint of a choir director, uh, said, son, you, you, you might, I think I can probably give you some voice lessons, <laughs> uh, which I think was very thankful for the other choir members around and, and me as well. Um, and in high school, uh, joined the adult choir and did my first high school musical uh, in high school. Brigadoon, Brigadoon, blooming under sable skies. Great musical. I had one line. I was kind of the junior member. One line, 10 words. But I had this, 
I still have this memory problem. I just, you know, names and memorizing lines and things like that. Thank, thank God it, in, in choir you're surrounded by 80 or 90 people to kind of kind of help you along. So I knew the cue. I knew, you know, this is this is a a, a wedding scene. And there's been a <coughs> member of the, the party that's that's died, and so everybody's singing back and forth. What do we do about this? One line, ten words. Knew the cue, knew the pitch, knew when I was supposed to come in, everything. But I was deathly afraid that the moment would come, my mouth would open, and I'd forget the line. So we're we're, we're backstage, we're getting ready to go on, <laughs> and we're standing there. About to, and the, the director walks by and says, Weaver, what are you doing? I'm studying my line. You're lying. Yeah. You're one line. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, whatever. So in, in my thought process, I figure, well, I'll strike this pose. I'm standing over the bottle, the, the body rather, and you go, there will be no more sorrow on this wedding night. <laughs> and it would be not a problem. So, uh, so that's what I did. And I now am the most copious note taker in my firm uh, because I want to I want to be able to go back and know exactly what we said and what we talked about and, and that sort of thing so uh, so going on to college um, NC State University in engineering for a couple of years transferred to East Carolina University to get a, a BSBA I was in the, the, the choirs I actually played trumpet in high school and in, in college as well and then when I graduated got a job in Raleigh for about a year I uh, wasn't real happy with it but it was a starter job and then I got a great opportunity here in Atlanta Boy, this is awesome. Young single guy in Atlanta, this is going to work out really great. Until I got down here and realized my sales territory was Columbus, Macon, and Albany, two hours outside of Atlanta. I said, this is not going to work. i got to pick one of these towns to live in. So I flipped a three-sided coin and somehow landed in Columbus. Thank God, because that's how I ultimately met my wife. I joined a church there, a Methodist church, sang in choir, a great, great group, and over a couple of years got to know everybody. And one night... One of the ladies said, you know, you'd make a great son-in-law. I was like, oh, right. I was like, oh are you offering your daughter? And she said, well, actually, my, my stepdaughter, she's, uh, she's a real sweet gal, good Christian, and a um, uh, great personality. Now, normally, that's enough to turn around and run, right? I said, well, you know, the pickings ain't great here in Columbus. Where does she live? Well, she lives in Albany. I said, that's in my territory. Great. So uh, next thing you know, we have a lunch uh, arranged, and, and I, I just fell in love. Big blue eyes. Again, a personality just larger than life, uh, and we, we got married. First 10 years or so of our marriage, we were not connected to a church. We were in boating, so we went up to the Lake Lanier every, every weekend. we go to the little uh, pavilion church on the hill from time to time. But at that time in my faith walk, um, my faith to me, when someone would ask, well, that's very private. That's between me and God. And I didn't recognize at that time that, no, your faith is shared openly, because how else? But I didn't really understand that. And then um, we uh, we moved. We moved a couple of times, and um, uh, we moved to uh, a neighborhood not far from here. And signed a contract, and we go out, and we're, we're kind of walking around the little um, little area for the kids, a play area, and we meet this wonderful woman, Angela Ross, Angela and Chuck Ross, members of our church. Angela said, well, welcome to the neighborhood. This is, this is going to be awesome. Now, where do you, do you all have a church home? It's like, no, but that's, that's next on our list. We need to find a place. Well, you all need to come to Roswell Methodist. It is a great church, great people, great pastor. It's like, great, well, we'll, we'll come. And, and we did. And that started a faith church I will forever be thankful for. Now, when we arrived at, at RUMC, uh, we learned uh, Malone was retiring. 
Uh, and he was in his last couple of sermons, and we're like, we, maybe we ought to wait and check out the new guy. <laughs> just just to make sure. I mean, Malone's been here a long time, and the next guy's probably going to be here a long time. So uh, we listened to Mike's first sermon and said, yeah, new guys, let's go ahead of this. And over the next few years, we made friendships that will be, be with us the rest of our lives through New Horizons Sunday School and just some of you that I've met through choir and everything. It just has meant so much in our faith journey. It just really made me realize that you do need the relationships and you do need the one-on-ones. You do need the interaction with people. Yes, you can be off and you can commune with nature and commune with God and, and enjoying the beauty of his works, but... If you're not there in person, um, you're just missing out on on so much. Um, so these friends have really been key in me getting through the last two two and a half years after the loss of my wife. I would still have God I'd have turned to how would have how would have gotten through. And there are many people who are going through hurt and pain right now. And all it takes is to you know you turn on TV. There are problems all around the world. There are problems right here in Roswell. My son, for his Eagle Scout project in high school, found out that one of the lacrosse players on his team was homeless. He didn't know which one, but the coach um, had people donate clothes for he and his siblings' supplies. He's like, how can that be in a place like Roswell? And he checked with the school administration and a number of his kids that attended school. A homeless might mean they were living in an apartment, might not necessarily be living in their car, which he never really knew. <clears throat> and he found out it was no different at Centennial High and all these different high So he's like, I want to do a project for... Um, uh, backpacks for, for love, and I, and I want to I want to get all these supplies. I want to pack these backpacks and really make a difference. <laughs> the scouting organization, unfortunately, said no. That that won't work because there's not a clear, defined before and after that we can look at. Because they'll they'll spend that money, they'll they'll, they'll pass out the supplies, and then the cycle starts all over again. It's just an ongoing process. So he was he was really frustrated by that. He went on and did a, did a very nice project. <coughs> But it really opened his eyes and my eyes to things that are that are very local. So, um, and I know Rusty's going to give us an update on the on the the hurricane relief efforts. There's just so many organizations that are screaming for our time and our resources are all worthy. And I think at this time of year, as much or more than anything else, we get pulled in a lot of different directions. Not to mention the things that just go on with our daily lives. And most of us here are probably older and kids grown, but you know, if you've got kids that are in school, because I, I have friends like that and they're, they're going 10 different directions and I don't know how in the world they find time. And we had one child. <laughs> I don't know when you have you know, two, three, four kids and they don't have time to do anything else at all. So you really have to pick and choose. But in the midst of all that, I know there are people who are hurting and, and going through problems. And it could very well be the person sitting next to you this morning. It could be the person sitting next to you in choir. It could be your next door neighbor, a coworker, be somebody you meet in a checkout line at the grocery store. And I think the biggest thing that we can do as Christians is to be present. I think that's the biggest things I learned from my wife. And she always had an open door to come in, a faithful woman, but she wasn't going to hold a Bible up in the air and beat them over the head with. She was just going to be present and be available. We don't always know those people who have needs. I had time, I've had times over the last couple of years where, where I've struggled. A good friend of mine who wanted to be here this morning, but his wife had knee surgery a couple of years ago, I tried to tell him day two and three is going to be a lot worse than day one. Day one looks good, but it's going to be worse, so I'm sure he's tending to his wife. But I'm going to call him out this morning. Jay Maddox, a very good friend of ours, has been very close in making sure that I'm okay. And he asked me out to dinner, I guess, early summer. 
And at that point, I think I was finally dealing with grief after a long period because I thought I was doing fine. And, and I just, I opened up to him. That's where I'm just I'm paralyzed. I sit at my desk at home, which is where I work when I'm not traveling. Just, I don't know where to start. I mean, I know where I should, but I just can't find it. And sometimes I just kind of question what's, you know, what, what's God's plan for me now? You know, why am I here? And he started to talk and he choked up. He teared up. Because David, we've we both had friends and we've both been exposed to suicide. I've often thought in one of those cases, there's something else I could have done. There's something I could have said. Give myself. I said, well, I'm, 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 not, I'm not considering that at all. But it just, I started crying to love for a brother. Really touched me. There, there are people that we don't even know about. We have a very, very dear family friend. Our boys are two days apart. So for some 25 years, we spent every holiday together. The boys' birthdays, Christmas, New Year's, Labor Day, Memorial Day, Thanksgiving, Christmas, just one big family. And about the time that Lisa was at her end, my wife, this, uh, this dear friend was beginning proceedings of divorce. An alcoholic husband, she'd had him in, in and out of rehab for years. <clears throat> had really done everything she could. And it has been an awful, awful ride. And she said, I'm, I've lost my best friend now. He's going to see me. Through. And I said, that's what we do. And... It's not gotten a lot better. An awful attorney who didn't do any of the things that he said he would do, took advantage of her, never questioned all the assets that the husband sold during the divorce proceeding. I mean, it's just incredible. <laughs> um, but just short of having any kind of <laughs> lawsuit possibilities, just done wrong. And it's not right. These things happen. But to see her or to see me during the times when I was down, you'd never know anything. So we just don't always win. We need to be that. And it's not about me, but... What I would like to challenge each of us, that as we go through the holiday, we are pulled in so many different directions, to remember to be present. Be present for those who need us. Be open to conversation. Maybe call that person you haven't talked to, a neighbor or a family member, or an old friend. I don't know what God has to offer me, but I know he's not done. He's not. Done. You may have a stronger sense of what you're in your life, but I know he's going to. So thank you for your friendship, for being present for one another, your faith for each other. And I just ask him. Um, David's story is is unique, but there are so many stories like David's that cross this campus every week. And um, I am I've been blessed to know David in good times and in, in bad. And I when I look around this campus, you see real men, real families, real lives. And I thank you so much this morning for giving us a brief glimpse into one of those lives and the witness that when we, remember when we added witness to. Our, our byline, I'm supposed to know exactly what that says, but I remember when we added witness. And uh, witnessing is a hard thing to do the first four times. And then after that, you sort of crave it because there's this moment where there's, there, there are lights and there's, there's a connection that's so much bigger than you and them. And in those moments, uh, you, can, you can recharge a lifetime. You can be changed in that. Um, mission trips are one way, one predictable way where that happens. So Rusty's going to come up and talk to us a little bit about what we're doing at the coasts. Thank you, sir. Rotary lunch. Rotary lunch. It feels like it. Right. Exactly. Well, uh, thanks. First, I want to say with everybody, David, thanks for uh, your story. I mean, it's really, uh, really special. It's fun. And Lisa was such a big presence, affected. But, you know, you're blossoming and blooming, uh, doing the, the Lord's call. We, and I know about you guys. Um, you know, Eric stepped up. Nobody's ever, I don't think much about this, but Eric stepped up 
when we lost leadership in this group, and if you hadn't stepped up, had lost the group, which is part of the story, by the way. So um, I, I think we should all get together and, and thank Eric, because I think it's doing an amazing job in terms of what he puts up here. Yeah. He had, had no idea I'd say that. So let me tell you real quick. <laughs> let me just tell you real quick. So yesterday I got a uh, text message and some pictures from a buddy of mine in Panama City and uh, showing us kind of where it just, he was driving down the road and he said, hey, Rusty, when are you guys coming again? Here, here's what it's like still to this day. I'm on the ground. Let me, let me know how I can help. Okay. And so uh, that made me think about him. Uh, I want to tell you why I thought about him and uh, tie in a little bit of what David said, because we got caught, guys, with our pants down. I love men's breakfasts. They're so much better, you know. <laughs> well, we got caught with our pants down, man. When uh, when Katrina came, we hustled into place. There were some experienced people in this church. We hustled into place, and God had gone before us, just as he had here, actually, this time, and motivated a, a friend of a lot of ours here that was named Rick Page. And when Rick Page got motivated, uh, he went out and bought things. And so he went out and bought a trailer, and he bought tools that he didn't know how to use, and he bought the best there was, and he filled it up, and he'd watch Mike Carmichael and some guys cut trees and, and shame him in a, in a deal. And, and so we had to do something with this trailer because Rick was, uh, frankly, a pain in the butt. And so, uh, you know, we got all ready, and boom, Katrina hits, right? And then Katrina hits. We had some experience folks out of CUC and a bunch of uh, bunch of guys with a bunch of desire. Richard Lunthal re really did a lot that's working on this together. And we went down and did a ton of, ton of trips on Katrina. Roger, how many did you say you think we did overall? About 35 trips. And, and Richard and I did 11 of those together, okay? These two hurricanes came by, and we, the church was actually thinking about selling the trailer, blah, 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 and, and we weren't ready, okay? Uh, so what we, we feel like, we had started work on that. We felt like God was calling us to put together a permanent ministry, and we had kind of started Cadillacing along and doing that, and boom, here it's come, okay? So we're rushing to catch up, but what I believe we're being called to is a permanent response ministry. And uh, we've got a really interesting scenario going on that allow us to do that now. Right now, we've got some people that are very touched by this, so we're not, we're not in a huge financial bind about it. You know, what we need are leaders like David Weaver that'll stand up and say, I'm going on this date, and then we need to surround him with volunteers and get down there on those dates. Does that make sense to you? Now, some of the folks in this room, really, y'all don't need to go. You know, you've been and been and been, and some of you, you know, are in a mood where you do, you should go and you would want to go, right? So you got to figure out which kind of group you're in. If you're not going, you can still help. You can help in a major way. And in fact, Roger, as uh, with a CUC, with that experienced team we have in CUC, has agreed to create what we call a DARE outpost. And so they're really the back end. They're the sending group. If someone's interested and you have a chance to sign up today, they'll onboard you. They'll teach you what it's about. They'll tell you what, hey, Mitchell, they'll tell you what, um, what needs, you know, how, you know how, what it's going to work like, what it's going to be like to be there, any of that kind of good stuff, if you will. And then receive you, pray for you while you're gone, have people praying for you, make sure you got 
going to a place where you know you're taken care of you got special needs whatever that is so we're standing that up and i think that's going to mean that we're going to be able to send lots of teams not just from our church but teams from other churches we got two churches that have signed up and said hey can you help us get down there okay now Les and I and a couple guys took a, a trip to South Georgia already. We've got one that's gone to Florida already. We've got one going in two weeks. And next year, we're really going to have quite a few. You follow me? Let me tell you why it's important. Um, because on one of those trips to Katrina, I stepped outside my comfort zone, took a bunch of guys that were from work, and some of them had started in a Bible study with me. And one of them was uh, this Catholic buddy of mine, that um, was uh, enjoyed more being Catholic than he did Christian, right? <laughs> and uh, when we were down there roofing a roof down there, we, uh, we were about to get blown away because a big storm was coming in while we're roofing the roof to replace the storm that had come in, right? And so uh, he and some of the buddies on the roof wanted to know what we ought to do. And um, I was thinking we probably ought to pray. <laughs> so... Uh, so we prayed, we well, on the roof, on our knees, we prayed, and that storm came up within about 150 yards and then just took a turn, went around us, didn't drop a drop of water on it. And he figured that's probably about the time he ought to accept Jesus. So <laughs> he told me that. And so on that roof at Katrina, working on somebody else's house, he accepted Christ. Subsequently, he has retired and moved to Panama City, and yesterday he sent me some pictures. And he said, tell the people at Roswell United Methodist that we love them. Thank you for not forgetting them. We look forward to seeing you. Lives will be changed, okay? So what well, goes around comes around, and God sends us messages when we're, when we're in his will. And I feel like that's what this is about this morning. And um, I want to emphasize what David said. Uh, the things that we do on these trips, fixing stuff is down somewhere around five, but being present is up somewhere near number one. People just are amazed. And what makes uh, Methodist Methodist is they don't quit coming. We've got some challenges, I think, denominationally, but the thing, this is us at our best. We come and we come and we come until it's done. So we probably have another two years to do, maybe two and a half years on these two hurricanes alone. We're going to have another one before then, right? So here's how you can help. There's a DARE sign up. You can be a volunteer and go on one of these trips. You don't need a single skill, okay, other than not to just drive other people totally crazy, okay? If you can do that, then it's awesome, right? There's only one thing we don't need at this time is advice. We, get, we actually got a lot of that, okay? So we got, we got all the advice we need, so we don't need that. If you got that, you can keep that, but if you got resources, you got tools, you know, you got for Christmas last year and you don't use those tools, you can donate them. You, um, we're going to probably be taking some trailers down with some supplies, right? Uh, but we really need volunteers, really need leaders. On this Saturday, there is a training uh, in right here, uh, ERT training. You need one ERT certified person on every trip at least. That way the insurance can cover you and all that stuff, right? So you're welcome to come to ERT training. You can still sign up. There's slots available. We pack a couple of good hours of training into a day and uh, starts about nine o'clock in the morning, okay? And uh, finishes in the afternoon, but you know, it's something, something you get to do, you gotta do, right? And uh, lives really change. They change on the roof, they change with people. Um, 
and and some of it, you know, sometimes you're working with people that are just so desolate, you realize that what you're working on was a real huge problem before the hurricane hit. Other times you're working on people that are not too different than some of the folks in your neighborhood, and even they are overwhelmed, right? And uh, so I'll finish with, there's lots of stories, but I'll, I'll, tell you, um, I'll tell you one fact and then one interesting little story that happened on the Albany trip, which is the fact is um, the youth building that sits over there came as a result of a meeting on the last day of a disaster recovery trip to Hurricane Andrew in Miami. And there were five, five of us that sat at a place and said, we just can't go on like we're going on. It was a youth trip, right? And that's really where that was created. That was where the first financial commitments were made, which was long before it was approved, long before it was approved. So things happen that years later stay with our church, if, if you follow that. And ironically, down in, in Albany, the way we were clearing a backyard and taking wood out to the front, we had to make a loop in the truck and the trailer. And in making that loop in the truck and the trailer, we saw a, a little old man with a handsaw cutting some limbs over a chain link fence with a handsaw, <laughs> right? And you couldn't park there. And so what we said, well, we'll take that loop again and then somebody with a chainsaw jump out and we'll just cut those limbs for him real quick and either throw them back in or haul them off, right? I mean, what 15 minutes worth of work. So we did exactly that. We made a loop, jumped out, cut those limbs off, got them where they were. And the guy as soon as he jumped out, I said, well, hey, can we cut those limbs for you? The handsaw doesn't look like it's up for the job. And uh, he, said, he said, no, no thanks. I said, sorry? He said, no, no thanks. What do you want? I said, well, don't, we, don't, we don't want anything. We just want to cut the limbs. <laughs> That's all we want to do, right? He said, you mean for free? And I said, yeah. So cut the limbs. And then that time he said, well, where are you from? We're from Roswell United Methodist. Oh, my goodness, when I visit my buddy, I go to the Baptist church down the end from you. He said, I, you know, I, I'm a Methodist, too. And I said, you know, we're, we were saying, that's good. That's good, you know. I'm still working on mine 40 years in, you know. But that's really good. And, uh, and so just wouldn't let us alone. Walked away just walking back to where we belong. And he said, you know, y'all are real Christians. <laughs> and I thought. Well, now that's nice. That's, I think that's nice. I think that goes back to what day, right? So dare may not be your calling, but what you can do is recruit people. And we need, we don't have enough young guys in this group. And we need people with good backs. So we need younger people that are too busy to go, to go. So they can meet their G, right? So thanks. There's some signups here. Roger's collecting signups. Be sure and mention if you want to do the ERT training. I know there's a lot of veterans in here. And, uh, but give that some thought. I mean, uh, you could go, recruit. There's lots we can do. Thanks, y'all. Thanks, Rusty. Uh, so you've had a, an action-packed morning already. It's not even 8 o'clock. Um, I look forward to these mornings because I've done more by 8 o'clock than I probably got done all day yesterday. Um, I want to point out two things. Um, we all have some kind of mission work in our, our lives that you probably have picked up just out of habit. Mitchell came in while uh, Rusty was talking, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to brag on him just a little bit. If you saw the video on Sunday, you know that Mitchell's mission, part of that is he sends out text messages. Now, my wife gets a lot of text messages working at the church. Many of them she wishes she had not looked at. Mitchell's on Sunday morning is not one of those. She looks for that message on Sunday. And sometimes it's the thing that helps us get in the car together, happy to see each other, 
as opposed to the rat race that we often put ourselves through. So, Mitchell, great job with the video and wonderful mission that you uh, you continue to do. And uh, I'll look for that text message. I'll, I'll hear from Cami. I'm not on the list, but Cami is, and that's what's important. Um, one real quick uh, polling question. Uh, we're slated for January the 3rd. If January the 3rd is going to mean that by it being the same week as uh, New Year's Day, if that means you cannot be here, raise your hand. If you're here this morning, be here. Now, how about January the 10th? Okay, well then I will see if we can move to January the 10th. Um, I've got a speaker who can be here either day, which is great. Um, one last thing. I really was struck in David's talk about how he was invited do you have a church home? It's a great phrase. I mean, we all have, we you know we think about the home that we go to every night. But do you have a church home? Well, there is an invitational opportunity that is a great way to get people on this campus, whether or not they have another church home or not. And I happen to have tickets this morning. Um, our church concert, uh, whatever church Christmas festival concert, is uh, this Friday night at seven thirty and Sunday at three o'clock. Now I have tickets, and I'm happy to give anybody tickets. You do not need the tickets. The tickets are more to remind you when and where than they are to get you admittance. Did we do not have a... Doris <laughs> not this morning, Roger. Do I need to tell her that this morning? When you show up without a ticket, yes. Doris Westbrook stock won't get in. Oh, my goodness. Well, I'm, I'm careful with her. She, she is a more rabid Georgia Tech fan than I am, so whatever Doris says is right. But you can bring your entire Sunday school class with out tickets Friday night at 7.30 and their neighbors or Sunday afternoon at 3 o'clock and their neighbors and it will not be a problem if you don't show up with a ticket. Now, Ted may look at you cross-eyed and may give you the once over twice. Come in the north door instead. <laughs> but I want the problem of people not having a place to sit down. That is okay. That will not be a problem. It will be an, a fascinating concert. We've got kids. We've got lots of moving parts. We've got instruments. So it is a wonderful, wonderful invitational event. And it looks like there will be no snow, so we will not be canceling it. So I give celebration that. One last. Yes, Mike. We have a full orchestra. Thank you very much. And they were, you know, anyway, rehearsals. If you can't make it Friday and you'd ever like to look behind the scenes, come tonight. <coughs> we'll about 7.30 we'll actually probably start the dress rehearsal if you would like to see what goes on behind the scenes you know that the, the, the we'll be in the sanctuary and there'll be plenty of behind the scenes uh, I'd like to do one last item here um, we have there's December birthdays oftentimes get trampled what trampled by the fact that everybody's so busy but I know when I show up here at 6.30 that somebody else has been here probably starting around 5.00 and Bob and Steve are here to make certain that we get to eat. Bob has a ministry like Mitchell. Bob makes cakes. But making cakes is no good unless they're received by someone who looks forward to them, enjoys the fact that someone bothered to make them. And so this morning I'm taking a point of personal privilege and would like to say happy birthday to Steve and make certain that Steve gets some food that he didn't have to make. <laughs> So there are sign-up sheets for DARE. There are also, uh, if you have a prayer concern or a praise that you would like uh, the church to pray over or be aware of, the, those with the little notepads on, we don't have a lot of time for table talk this morning. 
take a moment with the people who are at your table and make certain that you know what's going on in their lives about Advent. It's a wonderful time to invite people to church. Invite them to music. Invite them because we have, you know, good food. What And just invite them because they'll come here and they'll feel a connection. They'll see genuine people doing genuine things and they'll come back. And just because you invite them doesn't mean you're responsible for every step of their journey. You get them here and the church will take care of them and trust that and just invite. It's a wonderful time of the year. So gentlemen, thank you very much for being here this morning and thank David again for speaking with us.